Hey, I'm Jesse. Hi, this is Helen. And you're and we're- <laughs> I'm Asian bitches down under talking over each other. <laughs> do you eat Indian food at home? Like, do you? Is that a regular cuisine for your household? I love this opening question that just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Helen did. You're going to be somewhere. We basically hit record. We come together. We hit record, and we talk for the next hour. Yes. Um, that was unprompted. Uh, I don't. I think I eat about Indian food twice a year. I have to say. Oh, okay. Is there any reason? I find it very heavy, and I think I have oh, okay. heavy foods. That's all. Yeah. It's mostly like curry and a lot of yeah. gravy. Because I, I, I think my favorite. Uh, this is going to make me sound like such a white person, but my favorite thing about Indian food is the naan. I just like the naan bread. <laughs> is it the cheese naan that you prefer? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Like I'm the, I'm the whitest white person when it comes to Indian food. I'm like, and I've chosen, and I like the most inoffensive of them all, which is just like naan bread. I mean, how <laughs> can you get right? Um, the question is because what? yesterday while I was listening to going through my regular podcast that I listen to, and on the breathing, they uh, invited an Indian chef to talk about this big court case in India. So apparently, there are two families who are trying to claim that their granddad is the inventor of butter chicken. So it's made a huge news in India. It's sort of like onto a global platform as well. And I thought that was just quite um, fascinating that they're trying to claim the family name over, you know, who's the inventor of butter chicken. So it's quite interesting. That's incredible. Yeah. I wonder what, I mean, there must be the intricacies of the, the details of the case. Obviously, I know nothing about. However, I'm curious to know what the reasons are for the family it's not like people have patented butter chicken you know mm. butter chicken everywhere it's so ubiquitous yes yes there might be of a legal legacy or something that is it's so intricate within the family or within the local name that that um inspires them to take the take take such a litigious course that has had consequences around the world well you know the national media have picked it up yeah so apparently there were three um pakistanis that escaped to india just before the borders you know been separated between pakistan and india and these three men who came up with a recipe of butter chicken you know there's no records or evidence you know who exactly came up with a innovative recipe yeah for butter chicken i guess the three men were good friends but their descendants came about want to claim the rights of who actually was the innovator for butter chicken i don't know what kind of benefits you get out of it i guess it's, it's exactly like, my right? yeah marketing what or, exactly butter chicken what's in butter chicken is uh, it actually butter? there is butter in it but it's um, based on a tomato and cream sauce, which is right. it's like end up like a gravy. And there's so many methods that you, I guess there's a variety of methods that you can make butter chicken. And also you can always get like a pre-mix. That's oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's the easiest 
It's the most accessible. I think it's the easiest entry to Indian food. Yeah, yeah, it's the link. Yeah, most people would have it. It's either butter chicken or mango chicken. Oh, mango spicy ones. I absolutely love mango chicken. <laughs> I think when we were growing up, we had I had a lot of mango chicken. Yeah, yeah. Because it's sweet. It's very sweet. Sweet. It's yeah, sweet. it's very palatable for kids as well. So yeah. I'm guessing like a lot of Aussie kids would have had butter chicken or mango chicken when they were growing up. I thought that butter chicken was as ubiquitous and unclaimed by anyone as say sweet and sour pork mm. or wh- whatever white people tend to order when they go to chinese restaurants you know yeah yeah okay um should we really <laughs> move on to something else <laughs> i don't know where to move from from here well i guess the only cultural consumption i wanted to mention were two things uh perhaps i'll add a third if i get the chance but uh, i finally went to see poor things oh yeah uh, the mm-hmm. movie that everyone's been talking about i swear for the past month i'd say mm-hmm. uh in the states it came out in november so late last year in australia it was released more recently uh and the fanfare around the movie is mostly around the contentious uh issue of whether it's a fantastical kind of porn for men or if it's a feminist story mm-hmm. i think that uh, i agree with a couple of people there there's been so many think pieces online that i just haven't i've completely been allergic to it because it's just too noisy like before we started recording with Helen when we were thinking about the main subject matter of this episode, which is uh, a, the controversy about what a white bookseller had come out to say. We, we'll touch on that later, obviously. But um, I mentioned to Helen how much I hate the internet and how much I sound like a boomer the older I get. I just, I just <laughs> hate so much. I hate being on it. I don't want to be. I don't want anything to do with the internet. And anyway, so but uh, I did. The only review I kind of skimmed after I read I watched this movie was one which was published in The Guardian mm-hmm. and it was about a dozen different reviewers or a, do- a dozen different critics giving their take on it, on whether they thought it was feminist or not. And I agreed with a couple who said to ask if it's feminist or, feminist or not is to is to ask the wrong question is to is to frame the whole situation in the wrong lens through the wrong lens um insofar as where what we're trying to say is that uh it's a little bit feminist it's uh, also a little bit not feminist just like you know um nothing can be black or white mm-hmm. um but i guess all i'd say is that personally it did not sit with me very well mm. i didn't love it i admired it it's obviously a brilliant work of art it i it's indisputable that it's a tech on a technical on an artistic level it it ticked all the boxes for me it's undisputably a magnificent piece of movie making however uh the older i get the more i realize that the metric upon which i assess a piece of artwork is through emotional resonance Mm-hmm. And this movie did not Im- Im- resonate with me emotionally at all. Mm-hmm. I did not connect with anyone. I did not. I did not at any point in the movie get emotional. So it didn't touch me. 
uh, and uh, there could be a lot of reasons for that. However, the main objective I had for it was that there were too many sex scenes. Mm. And I'm sorry that there's, um, I should have said that's a bit, little bit of a spoiler. Uh, I, I'm glad that my one dear person in my life war, uh, sort of um, forewarned me about this. Uh, that there was a lot of sex in it, and if I, if she had not told me, I would have gone into it completely surprised because, in no, in no part of the uh, trailer or the marketing of the film does it insinuate that there is a lot of sex in this movie. It looks like a very playful, very innocent looking, sort of like Michelle Gondry's The Science of Sleep kind of uh, movie. But, uh, yeah, that was mainly the reason I didn't like it. There was way too much sex. It was over over the top and uh, a bit too gregarious for me, the sex. I thought a lot of it was unnecessary. Was it the, okay, for those, well, for myself as well, for those listeners and myself who hasn't seen the film, would you be able to just briefly tell us maybe the plot of the film if there's actually a plot? Yeah, there's definitely a plot. It's a journey. It's a journey of a young woman who is basically uh, Frankensteined alive. Mm. And I, that's all I can say because there is a bit of a spoiler and I don't want to give it away because it was quite startling and in the that startle, startlement was part of the joy uh, and freshness of going into the film, not knowing what, what was the kind of spoiler. So uh, that's all you need to know. It's about a woman's journey into selfhood but she is really um frankensteined alive and by that i just mean she's uh recreated by uh, a, a male scientist mm -hmm. so it's a journey of a female frankenstein would you yeah. say okay yeah I, I actually seen the posters i thought that it has already been out in australia for a couple of months maybe i just saw it too much uh, too uh, too early since the end of last year um i actually asked my husband to look up on if the, it's already streaming online but apparently it's due in cinemas at the moment yeah, i think they're going to milk out the fact that it's uh, su such a big oscar contender so i think it'll be still a few more months until it comes out streaming mm. unfortunately yeah okay um so apart from the sex a lot of sex scenes do you was there any other elements that wasn't to your liking uh i thought it was a bit too long oh. easy like <laughs> it's, it. it's genuine i thought it was it's two hours and 21 minutes oh it's so long anything one hour and 40 minutes my, my, my limit is 90 minutes 90 minutes is the perfect <laughs> just like the perfect novel is under 200 pages my uh, uh someone close to me who is uh big in the literary world disagrees mm. she says book needs to is should be as long as it needs to be but i i don't know i just think the perfect book is 200 pages the perfect movie is 90 minutes long the perfect song is two minutes and 50 30 seconds no that's a bit <laughs> anyway I don't listen to songs, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, I'm starting to notice that a lot of TV series, they're making long episodes as well. I, I'm so dreadful. It's awful. It's really, it's, it's they're, they're milking it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything over 40 minutes? Yeah, for TV is too long, yeah. I think. I yeah. agree. A lot of pilots, they, they go on for like an hour or an hour <laughs> and five minutes. I'm like, why? And you notice that there are a lot of unnecessary scenes that they just sort of have added out. Absolutely. And why couldn't, yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with the TV and filmmaking industry, but from a consumer's um, perspective, I feel like those, the films that are too long or the TV series that are just too long, it's hard to catch my attention. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, it's not that. It's just, um, a lot of it just feels really uh, indulgent. It's unnecessarily indulgent. Mm. It, it stretches into an arena where you feel as though the person making the, the movie or the book or whatever is just being indulgent, and I don't like that. I think that every single second, every single, every single word needs to matter on the page. Every single frame needs to matter on the screen uh and you can feel it when 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 the audience is being asked to do something like sit on their butts um if for even a second too long it just yeah i mean it's a hard thing to do obviously uh but uh i agree uh i definitely don't think that a pilot should be longer than 50 minutes absolutely yeah um anything else from your end you want to talk about anything Say I'm looking forward to the series premiere of Lisa Tadeo's internationally best-selling book, Three Women Adaptation, and it'll be showing on Stan on February the 16th. And it, uh, I've seen the trailer. You can see the trailer now on YouTube, or if you have Stan, you can watch the trailer. Obviously, it's the book that really, one of the best books I've ever read. It really changed me. Uh, that Lisa Deo published a couple of years ago. Uh, it made her a worldwide sensation. It's now been adapted into a series, uh, and Shailene Woodley plays Lisa Deo's character. And I thought it was quite interesting that they actually put Lisa Deo's character inside the series, so mm-hmm. she has bought herself. You can tell by the uh, trailer, uh, and I don't know. It, it doesn't. That, that storyline uh, I'm not too interested in because, uh, you know, we read the book to be fascinated. We're fascinated by the three stories of those three women. Chelsea, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Shailene Woodley. I love her so much, so I'm really keen to watch this. Okay. You were just talking about that there was uh, there were too much sex scenes in Poor Things, but the three women, it's a – I haven't read it yet. You have I'm looking it up on Goodreads. It's a riveting true story about the sex lives of three real American women. Not a lot of sex in it. Ah, okay. Also, it's interesting that they've chosen, there's basically, I think, I know there's Lena, there's Sloane, and then there's, I don't remember the student's name. There's Amber maybe, but there was basically three women. Um, And Sloane is a restaurant owner who's kind of like the most sexually adventurous, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And she is played. They've cast her in a black by a. They've cast a black actor to play that story, which I find very interesting. Funny that the story was three white women, and she copped a bit of slack about that. By the way, when it came out, 
there was criticism about how white the book was. I see. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just reading through the comments on Good Group Reads. It's it's rated three point seven two, and seems like it's a, not an easy read for a lot of readers. <laughs> oh, I I honestly think it's it was, you know, um, I'm not easily impressed. I have very high standards. This book really impressed me. This book is a book that I rate definitely in my top twenty books of all time. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic for what it did at that time. It's brilliant. Amazing. Okay. Uh, from my part, I've actually finished. Um, this is one of the books that I finished in January. I read a couple of books back in January, and Cursed Bunny by Bora Chon and translated by Anton Per was one of the books that was on my list since last year. I really want to read it. It's a collection of short stories written by Bora Chon, and most of the short stories.、Um, How should I describe it? I really enjoyed this book is because I like reading short stories. It doesn't require my attention for weeks to follow the narratives.、Um, I can finish the story within day.、Um, one chapter is one story, and it's mostly about the sort of fascination, the imaginative that. Uh, Borachan has created around like woman's life, and also the she she wrote the stories. It's almost like fairy tales, but adult fairy tales. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of mystical creatures. There's a lot of things that you cannot explain in the sense of our real world.、Mm-hmm. Um, so the main story, Cursed Bunny, is about this bunny that just keeps reproduce in someone's family, a rich,、uh, rich guy's family, and attacking the family through a very weird way of consuming the bun, the bunnies that came about being created as a light, a lamp light. By a craftsman, but it came alive during the night and start、mm. chewing up all the documents, all the in, in, like financial reports of that wealthy family. And in the end, that、uh, it, it come, it gives you an idea of what if there's actually a bunny like that that you can curse someone that you really hate.、Mm. And, Yeah, and other stories throughout the book just makes me think、um, the amount of imagination that Bora Chon has is just amazing. Like she just she writes out from a very dystopian sort of tone for those short stories. Yeah, I really enjoyed that book. Can you lend it to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bring it to you. Yeah, it feels a bit. Like, it feels like Earthling as well. I don't know if you have read Earthling. Murata Sakaya, yeah, they have a very similar undertone for their writing. I think they write this really dystopian, very very weird. Yeah, I know what you mean. Kind of like、uh, the vegetarian, the, uh, uh, yeah, or like the what's it the the closing ceremony or the welcoming ceremony? ceremony, live ceremony. Yeah, yeah, that that collection of short stories was、yeah. exquisite and weird. 
Yeah, very, very weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm dying to read. I've been everywhere, and Anton Her has been everywhere. Like, uh, I know that recently, Better Red Than Dead, our local bookstore in Newtown, had a newsletter that highlighted Korean writers. And uh, and I wanted to ask you, does Anton Her, what do you think about his translation of Bora Chung's? Oh, I think it's really short good. stories. It's really smooth, but because I I don't I, I I don't read Korean. I don't know Korean, so I can't read the originals. But in sense of reading the translated version of the um, Borachon's work, I think it's really smooth and um, not difficult to understand. In the way that I I feel like even teenage, maybe sixteen plus will be able to read it as well. Yeah. Um, Does Anto have a translator's note in your edition? No, I don't think there's translators. No, I don't know where's the book. Who is behind me? Because I am obsessed with translators' notes. I, I always want to know what if, yeah. or how to do yeah. their job, you know, what, what factors that they want us to keep in mind as we read this because we're really ostensibly reading what they have written you know we're not reading the original text we're reading what the translators have have written in English you know yes the book is shortlisted for 2022's uh, international booker let me have a look I don't think yeah I, I think it's very poetic in some of his translation but also I, I don't know if that's what we, how was it written in the original text yeah um this is one of the books that i will want to go back and read it again because it took not a lot of effort for me like i don't mm. have i mean i don't know like you said about um when you want to have connections with a certain artistic work there needs to be emotional mm-hmm. you know, resonance and for me i feel like there's a um emotional resonance like i feel happy reading it even though that you know that the the story is quite tragic and the story is quite um, impossible to kind of get your head over it. But I feel happy of reading this kind of book because I don't have to invest a lot of brain cells to try to understand a certain words. And I think Anton He really utilizes a very good style of translation that he doesn't complicate it you know some translators because they want to show off their translation skills they will try to complicate it as much as possible you really have to understand that you know there's only a certain group of people that will probably understand the words that you use it's not like everyone's education level is the same as a phd graduate yeah, so I, I think this book, um, Cursed Bunny, yeah, I'll, I'll bring it to you next time. Really recommend Yeah, next week when we have the Lunar New Year celebrations. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I can't say I've read a bad translation just because uh, I don't actually read a lot of books in translation. Mm-hmm. So my, my pool is very, very small and limited. Uh, I, thankfully, the translated works I have read have been excellent and smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for movie-wise, TV and movies, mm, and there's nothing really anything that I really recommend. I watched uh, Brother Son 
with my husband last month. So that's the Netflix series about a Taiwanese gang <laughs> that's in like LA or San Francisco. I can't remember it right now. Um, but it's a full Asian cast with Michelle Yao play as a mother, which I kind of disappointed because there's a lot of fighting choreography throughout the whole series. But Michelle Yao hardly played a huge part in fighting. I don't know if because of age or the character she plays, because I keep expecting that she would do a huge fighting scene. Mm. Yeah, but at the end, there wasn't there wasn't much fighting scenes that came from, mm. her. and mm. the only emotional connection that I had throughout the whole uh, series about eight episodes was where Michelle Yao returned her character returned to Taiwan, and she was uh, taking a taxi back to her home, and she looks out to the window from the taxi and you see the scenes of like the night of the, the Taipei's night scene and there's mm. a really um Ponya music that plays in the playground because her character hasn't gone back to Taiwan for like decades yeah right and that silence with that scene without any dialogue it was just beautiful like that's the only probably the 10 seconds I feel really related to the whole series Right. Yeah, and that's it <laughs> because I don't feel resonated towards how you know the gang develops, the mobster killing each other, trying to take over territories, and it's really, really, really bloody the ho- throughout the whole um, series. Yeah, a lot okay. of pain. yeah, a lot of violence. Yeah, I hate violence. I hate it. I was gonna say I, I might watch it. But uh, but now that you've told me that, definitely a no go for me. I don't watch. I don't mind watching violence. I think my my brain just turns off, and it will switch to treat it as an entertainment, which is really it. Really sounds bad <laughs> what I'm saying, but um, that's everybody's reaction. Yeah, and even watching Rainfield, Rain, Rainfield. I don't know if you know the film Rainfield. It's Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt. It's a twenty twenty three remake of like a reimaginative of Dracula. And I actually oh, quite enjoy enjoying that film because I haven't seen Nicolas Cage for a very long time and I have adored him when I was, you know, back in my twenties and his acting skill is just magnificent. Like it's only you can you understand why he was casted for the role of playing Dracula in that film and Nixus soul is just as funny as ever as well. I can't shake off the image of him being Marcus in About a Boy. Whenever I see him. One of the best movies ever. I fucking love it. And now you see an actor as an adult and you feel old because when we first see Nicholas Holt as Marcus, he was like, what, I don't know, 10 or 11, like my my daughter's age. One of the most dramatic transformations, impressive transformation. Yes, absolutely. Now, absolutely, like, handsome. He's so good-looking. Um, same with the guy who plays Dudley, I believe, in Harry Potter. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's a, a huge transformation, but I haven't seen him in, in anything yeah, new. Not as famous. Uh, Nicolas Cage, best performance. Go. Uh, <laughs> sounds cringy. Kong Air. Yeah, I knew you were going to go there. I knew you were going to go. 
Okay, for me, uh, it's a tie between Face Off, obviously, okay. uh -huh. and Moonstruck. Oh, I haven't seen Moonstruck. Is that you one? Have to, it is. It is such a feel good movie. It is so good. I just I fucking love Moonstruck. It is so. <laughs> Thanks to Christos Chokas who told me to go watch it. Let me have a look. Okay. It is so – it is just like oh, – and Cher, she won an Academy Award for her performance. Mm -hmm. uh, it is just oh, – it's so, like, life-affirming. It made it definitely made me want to go back to New York after watching it. It's a very New York movie. Wow, it's a 1987 American uh, romantic comedy drama film. I can't believe it. Like – Thinking about that, Nicolas Cage <laughs> was working back then. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's working he huge in the Yeah, he's managed to cut cut out cut out a, a huge and very long career. Yes, because he's a man, so men can do that. Well, my yeah. husband say that the reason that he's still working is because he just recently had a kid, so he needs to work. Oh. <laughs> He raised a baby. I don't know how many kids he has, but he no, he yeah. does not. He has. He's a he's a millionaire. He's a billionaire for sure. Okay, let's yeah. take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to delve into the rather controversial discussion this week in the book store industry. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hi there! If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So we're back. Um, before we go on to the story about the bookstore, I failed to mention that Rainfield, the movie um, before the break, is that Aquafina is in the film as well. Uh, even though that is really violent, but um, I kind of think that it will be a film that I would like everyone to go and watch it because Aquafina is such a comedy uh, figure. Yeah. Asian, Asian American uh, community. And she fits right in in that movie, even though there's Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt, and you never consider that they will come together with Aquafina. But that film is just have her in the character playing the cop, just fits perfectly. It's just so funny, yeah. And I think it's because her her way of speech, her her sound, yeah. and the way that she slouch, yeah, her slouch. <laughs> I love it's perfectly in that film. <laughs> anti-hollywood yeah i love 
Yeah. Aquafina's slouch is anti-Hollywood. I love yeah. it. She's just a few, full of like, I don't give a fuck sort of attitude. <laughs> yeah. So the story that we're going to talk about today, if you haven't heard, uh, the owner of an independent Victoria bookshop, um, Jessie was saying that she doesn't even want to mention a name to promote. Yeah, we don't want to highlight it. Yeah, one of the, I, I believe was a store, a store owner um, posted something on X last year um saying that uh let me have a look okay so the tweet goes on like this what's missing from our bookshelves in the store positive male lead characters of any age any traditional nuclear white family stories kids picture books with just white kids on the cover and no wheelchair rainbow or indigenous arts known non-indigenous australian stories um so this was one actually oh it's she's actually a chief executive of the bookstore it, the person continues on saying that we don't need to include hate against white australian socialist agendas equity over equality diversity inclusion read as anti-white exclusion uh left-wing government propagandas she calls this the work agenda that divides people i um, love that love how the like conservative people have now completely just co-opted the the term work agenda but mm. it's just so funny they're throwing around this woman sounds like one of those right-wing republicans in the u.s who who reckon that taylor swift and her relationship with that dude who gives a shit um is like a conspiracy and that she's trying to you know she's she's all she's trying to uh, influence the upcoming election anyway go on it's just absurd and so hilarious yeah and later the robertsons have made an uh, official apology on both instagram and facebook claiming that the comment has been taken out of context and misrepresented uh since then this woman's ex account has been deleted and the woman actually uh, went on to the age she has a comment, sorry, commented on the age saying that her bookstore fully support and encourage stories from diverse voices, minorities, and we're most definitely stocking those important topics and the authors that are written them. So what was your first reaction, Jess? Uh, laughter, because uh, I've, I've, I've noticed this because I worked for a feminist publication media company for about four or five years mm. now. And I remember in the beginning, it was really tricky. It was really, tricky is the wrong word. It was very challenging because I'm someone who feels a lot. And when you're writing about the ways in which women are being abused, discriminated, uh, sidelined every single day for four years, um, it really does something to you. And um, I decided recently that I really need to pick my battles mm -hmm. and I really need to consider how to respond to things in a, an appropriate manner and for me this was just another thing that I was like okay I'm not going to get angry about this because this is just one woman and she should have just told if she has these opinions which by the way I'm sure many Australians do then just like talk to your husband just talk to your partner or just talk to your bitch about it to your friends don't broadcast it don't make other people angry uh, it certainly made me angry because I just my my second reaction after laughter because like uh, 
I just thought it was absolutely absurd, her, her absolutely absurd and racist and terrible in every way. My second reaction was that uh, these kind of people, these kind of opinions are exactly the reason, uh, are, are, are exactly the reason why a cynic might believe that things will never change for, represent for representation and diversity in Australia. It's these kind of opinions that are getting platformed. Like we're kind of platforming it already by talking about it, but we're kind of criticising it, obviously. But it's these kind of uh, opinions that make me just think, well, um, it is so unhelpful in changing the world. It's it's really like if you want to read books that highlight white families, go to the 1950s, mate. Like my, sec my third reaction, because we talked about it at our workplace, was that, I was like, does she not know that there's like a hundred years worth of books just for white people? Like, and like, does she not read anything before prior to 1990? Like, does she know? Does she not know that there's a history of, uh, you know, white family-centered books before 1990 that she can turn to if she wants representation of white families? So that was that was quite funny. In the same, I I guess I responded in the same way that I responded to those uh fathers who were protesting outside of newington this week that's right yeah we got to spend our discussion on that as well yes yeah, school turning <laughs> so funny yeah what about the boys so i uh, just quickly uh this is a so uh, there's very we'll just very quickly segue i mentioned this uh there's a quite a famous elite boys private school independent boys private school in sydney's inner west that have decided to go co-ed in two years' time. And this week, a bunch of old boys and fathers uh, took, pla took plaques, uh, took their posters outside uh, at the school and protested this decision because they were not happy that the school was becoming co-ed. And, mm. and the comments that uh, were made by, by some of the fathers were so funny that I thought they really need to be turned into a rap, rap song, satirical rap. Thing. It was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I'm actually just waiting for Tim Mitchum to turn into turn oh, yeah. quotes into something cynical. Yeah. So, uh, like what Jesse said, that uh, the school, a new intern college, is they have began the process of becoming a co-education in 2026. And the, the, this week, the school started for 2024, and there's parents protesting outside of the um, outside of school about the decision. And again, this is funny. One parent accused the school of lying to family of the college. Another cited work agenda. <laughs> yeah, work agenda. Another, one, you know, they're trying to just use throwing. It's it's like throwing. Uh, what was it? Um, cancel culture. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, before and now they're using work agenda. My favorite was actually the the uh, the father who got teary. He was about to get teary talking about how like he he wanted his grandson to go to an all boys school. Mm -hmm. Like how 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 much does that say about you and the kind of man you want to bring into this world if you insist that he be surrounded. Of only by men. I mean, isn't that just? I think that's misogynist. I absolutely it's very misogynist. Think that's very Obviously, yeah. yeah. How I just don't understand why would you want an environment 
just to be men only. And when once you finish that school, you still have to face the reality that, of um, fifty percent women in the world. Exactly. And are you going to teach them just you know not treating women, female girls as a human? Um, one of the protesting board that I saw that I I saw I oh just unbelievable. It says that boys will become second class citizen in their own school. <laughs> what does that mean? Are you saying that? So at the moment, um, because that you don't have girls in the school, you treat the women and females and girls as second citizen outside of the school. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my dog is just farting a lot next to me. Just- <laughs> That's really bad, but also fun. Kidding. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like anti fart and smells and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, you want to have the boys within, you know, a, a what do you call them? Like a glass house surrounded by men. Man, country. Honestly, this country. So see what I mean? You just gotta. You gotta shrug some things off because it's just. It just becomes yeah. untenable. The anger that you feel, you know. Anyway, let's talk, turn back to our original story of the bookshop, the racist bookshop owner. Any other thoughts? Any other? Well, um, the, I thought the apology came from the, the bookshop was really funny as well because it doesn't sound like an, an apology. It, it sounds like, oh, I'm sorry for those who are offended. And then they went on to um, show a collection of books with a specific title under those a couple of books that they were listing of oh we do have indigenous titles here we do have multicultural titles here which is only five books under multicultural titles and someone pointed out that uh, they put indigenous uh, they put maxine Bernada clark's book under indigenous titles which is she's not indigenous she's australian oh. but she's afro-caribbean i believe yeah, that is that is cringe man oh yeah. And then, you know, LGBTQI plus um, sort of titles and then followed by, um, they still have to go back and they still like say, I, I, this is what I don't understand about that post of apology. They put a list of, oh, the, here are the titles of uh, male-centric or boy-centric titles and there's titles from jk Rowland, everyone under the comments that okay so you just listed that you want to promote lgbtqi plus friendly and then you put a transphobic title right afterwards that is so funny yeah yeah i i don't have much i don't want to give attention to this sort of um comments obviously but um i think they i don't know what they're doing with their own collateral damage that the bookstore will have to do. I can see that some people are saying that, oh yeah, let's boycott the bookshop. But um, unfortunately, this is one person's action that causes damage to the whole bookstore. I don't think that she should be speaking for the bookstore. Yeah. 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 And um, there's still other people who works there that they would. And also, I would say, like we need more bookstores. Like we let's not cancel the whole bookstore just because of one person's view. Mm-hmm. That's too reactionary. Like let's like step back and think about uh, like the. I guess let's think about whole picture here. What's more important? 
we we want to support like what we want more bookstores in the world more bookstores in the world means a happier place mm -hmm. yeah but obviously you have to stock the right books <laughs> yeah um yeah that's it from me i don't have much thoughts about it except for i think a lot of uh oped pieces have already come out from alice pond has wrote something yep. about it um it goes it went pretty viral within the literature um industry i'll bet as well i'll bet yeah um but in reality that the comment of saying that we don't have enough male-centric books or white family-centric books is just ridiculous because if you look even at the top-selling books you can see that it's still predominantly white writers still predominantly men um you know what we've been doing for years trying to give voice for people of color writers of color female writers writers from indigenous backgrounds we just need more of them because there is still not enough that are out there absolutely couldn't agree more yeah okay any final thoughts uh no i think just wrapping up this week uh a lot of things to get annoyed about mm. i think you need to i think uh the older i get the more I, I don't, I don't, uh, I feel the anger, but I have to decide what to do with it mm. because, uh, because it's unsustainable. Mm. I have to not get angry at every little thing, every, not little. I, I don't think that these, this is little at all, but I have to choose what I get angry about. I remember a few years ago, I, when Jane Campion said that comment about uh, Venus Williams and the Venus the Williams sisters needing to compete uh, and how great they are, but she didn't, she had to compete with male directors, whereas they didn't, you know, that comment threw me for days. Mm. I was so angry. Mm. I was just so angry. And um, that anger is still inside my body. But I think now I, you have to, as a woman, really, uh, have a conversation with yourself because the world is not going to change as quickly as you'd like it to. Mm. Um, that's just reality, unfortunately. And so you need to you need to control what you can control and manage your own emotional and psychological response in order to do the work that you know you can do in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're always here for any um discussions regarding to racial or gender and this is what we do and this is what we continue to do and yeah that's that's it for me i'm kind of like lack of vocabs today I don't know. that's okay that's great um helen uh, um we're looking forward to some amazing events coming up in february obviously there's the lunar new year celebrations next week which we will report back to you about um helen is doing a couple of interpreting gigs at uh, upcoming movies about uh taiwan taiwanese cinema so i'll be attending all those mm -hmm. uh part of the queer film festival uh, i'm also looking forward to the antenna film documentary film festival i'm going to one uh 
on the 8th at the Randwick Ritz, and it's a documentary. It's a short doco, uh, and it's about uh, Tai Ing-wen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the one a week before you. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like to support what we hear, what we do here at Asians Beaches Down Under, uh, please head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality uh, in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Bye.